Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. I've been hearing a lot about these pandemic learning pods ever since Governor Gavin Newsom announced new rules on reopening public schools that will basically force most districts to do virtual learning. Many parents are responding to this by setting up their own school environments or even paying extra so their kid can get into one. And so it's making me wonder, should we really be doing this? Whatever we're doing right now is a foundation for what's going to go forward. And I think there is a real concern that we could not just lose, you know, our interconnected, diverse school communities, but we could also lose public education as an institution. We still don't have the coronavirus under control, but school is officially about to begin, which means everyone's just scrambling to figure out how to teach kids while also keeping them safe. But as many families go off on their own, there's also concerns that it'll become even harder to give all kids an equal education. I'm Devin Kadiyama. Welcome to the Bay. Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. Diana Chavarin is a mom of a nine-year-old boy. She lives in Berkeley. And until recently, her son was attending public school in that town. She also owns a preschool. Sarah Hosseini is a reporter for KQED. So parents, teachers, kids, everyone was sort of thrust into this distance learning mode all of a sudden back in March. Having our lives just completely disrupted and then suddenly being one-on-one 24-7 for 123 days. Liana tried it for a while. She said, you know, her and her son would log in dutifully. She has this kind of... um, Accomplished, she says. She attributes it to being the daughter of immigrants, where, you know, even though it wasn't going so well, she actually called it absolute hell. (laughs) She felt obliged to just follow what the program was, to not question the teacher, to just put your head down and do the work. There came a point when she said, you know, she was trying to get her preschool figured out in terms of, you know, had to shut down during the shutdown. And, um, she wanted to make sure her employees were, you know, able to to continue getting paid, to try to get loans to ensure her business would survive. So doing all this work while her son is over there on the laptop and she's recruiting family members to try to help tutor him virtually. And it's just not working. I could not help my child with their work and then start my work for the day after bedtime. That just wasn't sustainable. So finally, she just says... 
We can't do it. Over the summer, not only did Liana decide that distance learning wasn't going to work out for her son moving forward, she actually decided to disenroll him and pursue something totally different. Even though, you know, we did have a good experience at Berkeley Public Schools, we, you know, I'm a big supporter of public schools, but at the same time, it just wasn't working for our family. Liana is now setting up a learning pod for her son and other elementary school kids. She's doing this by expanding the preschool that she currently runs, Berkeley Forest School. She plans to have cohorts for first, second, third, and fourth grade. These learning pods are all over the map. Some parents are paying private tutors or former teachers. It's hard to tell just how many there are, but as the fall semester begins, there's definitely a lot of interest in coming up with something outside of virtual learning at a public school. There are these hubs online on Facebook. There's this Pandemic Pods um, group that was started in San Francisco. It's now nationwide. People from all over are trying to you know, create mini groups based on their region. But there's about 30,000 people in that group, more than 30,000. In the Bay Area, you know, there's thousands in San Francisco, several thousands in, in Oakland. So you can get a sense that there are a lot of people at least thinking about it um, from all sides, as teachers, as parents, mostly moms. Pandemic pods are one way parents are finding an in-person solution. They're clusters of about three to six kids led by a private tutor to provide that in-person. This idea of pods has been a pandemic thing where, you know, you were encouraged to have a small bubble of people that you congregate with to avoid, you know, the possibility of, of getting infected and um, still being able to see people a little bit. So that's nothing new. Um, but the pods in terms of, you know, uh, learning pods or, you know, child care arrangements now that schools aren't going to be open in person for sure in the Bay Area, at least as the school year starts, that's that's sort of just become a thing in, in recent weeks. After the governor's announcement, there's been just a flurry of demand just over the weekend. There's one Facebook. Site I think some people are seeing them just as topic. as we did during, you know, the spring as a way to get their kids some social interaction by keeping their bubble limited to a few different um, kids. I think some people see this as sort of a mini school where they hire a teacher or a tutor and they come in and take that burden off the parents. And what are parents and, and families saying about why they want to turn to these pods? Well, it is something that's happened sort of outside of the system to, you know, sort of fill a void that schools being closed, at least in person, has, has um, created. I talked to one mom from El Cerrito who put it this way. She just said, I just can't spend another year ignoring my child while I'm on the laptop. Like she had, she was lucky enough to have a job, so she's working from home. You know, many parents aren't aren't working from home. They're working out in the world, or or they're you know unemployed and trying to figure out life. It's just many parents just feel like they can't continue to to do all of the things, and and that's what's been happening since March. Is you know it's a real childcare crisis. It's a real crisis in general. Why did these pods appeal to Liana? The pods appealed to Liana for several reasons. One is that she knew she didn't want to continue distance learning. Um, it wasn't working out for her son. The other is that um, she 
really has a fear of catching COVID. And in an environment like public school, she just hasn't seen the plan yet that makes that seem feasible for her. She's a single mom. She's still sending money back to her parents. She's supporting her child. It's She has a preschool and many employees to worry about. So she's just not willing to risk that as well. Just the daily fear. And, you know, my child is wondering, is it clean? Is it safe? I'm nervous and I don't, you know, it's not good for any human, especially the young ones, to hold on to that anxiety for such a long duration. They need the adults to provide that safety for them. How is Liana doing with the process of setting up this pot in Berkeley? Now that Liana has decided to go in this direction of expanding her preschool upward into these older uh, learning groupings for kids like her son, she's having to hire teachers, find families. Um, Somehow through word of mouth, she's already started to get interest from people, right? People she doesn't even know who are emailing her and saying, we're willing to pay double to secure a spot in the preschool. I understand that there's this anxiety in parents, this, this like trying to get your child in, trying to be ahead, hyper competitive. And that's just not how we work. I think it's overwhelming for Liana, but I think she's committed to to trying to do these pods in the most equitable way that she can. Why is that equity piece so important to Liana? Well, the question of whether these pods are going to be fair to kids is one of the key critiques. I mean, not everyone can afford a private school or tutors at home or even have the social connections to get um, a pod up and running. So it's gonna disadvantage kids for sure. Liana wants to do the best thing she can for her own child, but she's also aware that this, this whole phenomenon could be harmful to kids who just don't have the connections or the money to, to have an alternative to public school and distance learning if that's, not, if that's not working for them. We have families who pay maybe $50 a month for their school, for their child's school. And we also have families who pay $2,000 a month because that's equitable to their circumstance, right? She really wants to um, save space for people who are less resourced, for kids who may need extra support, kids of color, families, you know, in foster care, like that sort of thing. She wants to make that a place where everyone um, who needs the help can can really also have the same sort of access. Well, it sounds like Liana's very conscious about what the potential is for these pods to public education, what the potential is to to harm. What are school officials or advocates saying about these pods and what they could do to equity? Most schools are sort of walking a fine line where they recognize that many parents feel abandoned and they understand that they, you know, many parents need a solution in terms of who's going to watch the kid, how are we going to help them with work that we, you know, we don't know. <laughs> we, we've forgotten how to do that math problem or, you know, whatever that is. Um, so they understand that they, they need to be empathetic. So I think some school districts like Berkeley, for example, are and El Cerrito, they're providing classless early. The PTA is kind of stepping in to maybe connect 
disconnected parents with with people who seem to be leaders in this pod movement and you know try to do things like that but they also recognize you know the berkeley superintendent told me that um you know you can't really spend a lot of time trying to to improve a system that might at its core be inequitable you know not everybody can afford a tutor or a teacher or you know maybe they just don't have the relationships to find a pod maybe maybe they're working in grocery stores or at hospitals and they're seen as too risky to include in a pod so spending too much of the school's time trying to improve something that might at its core be exclusionary for a lot of kids is not really what they want to be doing There are also a lot of students who need the public school system for support and resources for things like special education or English language learner programs. There's no guarantee that there will be these kinds of resources through a learning pod. And some are worried that if more and more families pull out of public schools, it'll do real harm in the long run. Are people trying to persuade parents to stick with public schools? Yeah, I think there are people who are saying, wait a minute. One of the reasons why we value public education is that it brings us all together and it brings us together in ways that we we just don't do normally. Allison Collins is a school board member in San Francisco and she wrote a long post about this on social media, basically saying, hey, can we put a pause on this and consider some of the equity issues? All these market-based solutions are coming up and these pods are in some ways becoming like micro charter schools and it's, it's, it's really paving the way for the dismantling of this wonderful, beautiful institution that, as I said, brings these um, school communities together. You know, I, I know these learning pods are a national phenomenon, but what do you think this story says about uh, the Bay Area right now? Yeah, so I think it's really interesting. Why did this whole phenomenon really catch fire starting here in the Bay Area? And I think that, you know, we have a lot of, to begin with, a lot of wealthy families and a lot of privileged parents who know how to use technology and know how to organize. And um, so in that way, it kind of makes sense. I think it'll be really interesting to see how this era and distance learning and pandemic potting reshape education. We don't know when this coronavirus pandemic is going to be under control. And many parents really feel that sense of uncertainty, um, you know, as they're making decisions for the fall, you know, we just don't know when this is going to end. So trying to play that out several steps ahead and at the same time, hoping that when schools reopen, you know, that there is a community to go back to. I think that's, um, Uh, top of mind for everybody, or should be. Some school districts have plans for easing back into the classroom in person once they get off the state's COVID watch list. And some schools are trying to get back to in-person instruction sooner by applying for waivers, including places that provide special education. For now, schools in all nine Bay Area counties will start the year online. Sarah Hosseini is a reporter for KQED. The Bay is produced by Erica Cruz Guevara and editor Alan Montecilio. We're part of your public media station, KQED. 
Our podcast leadership team is Jessica Plachek, Erica Aguilar, Vinnie Tong, Ethan Tovin Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. I'm Devin Kadayama. That's it for us. Talk to you next time. Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it. We need a better conversation about the latest biggest election of our lives. On Pod Save America, me and my co-host cut through the noise to help you figure out what matters and how you can help. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Pod Save America is breaking down the political news that makes us laugh, cry, and snap our laptops in half. Expensive year for laptops. Make sure to check out new episodes of Pod Save America on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel now. A young correctional officer. He said it was the most dangerous prison in California. Forced to make a choice. Fulfill his oath or back his fellow officers. Recognize the badge of my office. I'm Suki Lewis. From KQED Podcasts comes On Our Watch Season 2, New Folsom. A story about who gets hurt when the system that promises to keep us safe is bent on protecting itself. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts.